Let's open our Bibles to conclude our study in Psalm 8. That's a short study we started last week. Psalm 8, and it's a sort of short psalm. So let's read that psalm together again from God's precious words. Psalm 8, Psalm of David. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man? that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. And I thought I'd left my notes behind. If our first sermon on Psalm 8 could be described as a call to delight in the splendor of God, I would say our second and final study of this psalm today would be entitled A Call to, a call to Delight in the Splendor of of Christ in God. This psalm is full of Christ and of gospel grace. And as we today, as I said last week, consider this psalm and its application to Christ. And it really is a continuation of what we were saying last Lord's Day, that the majesty of God is seen not only in the earth below, in the skies above the earth, it is seen in all God's goodness to man. And we noted last week in closing the fact, in fact, that the greatest display of God's majesty is surely seen in the perfect work of our Lord Jesus Christ in the redemption of man. This perfect work accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ has resulted in his glorious exaltation to the right hand of God, who is the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his pastor, as the scriptures teach us. God set his glory above the heavens, far above all principalities and powers. And this week we consider how this psalm applies to Christ in the work of our redemption that has been accomplished, accomplished, both in his humiliation when he was made a little lower than the angels. For man, it was an upliftment. He made us a little lower than the angels by, from just being creatures on this earth. And in Christ's case, he was made who was God Almighty. He was made a little lower than the angels as the New Testament points out, for a little while. And in his ex exaltation when he was crowned with glory and honor. And I love the way that the Gisrael Delph 
Dale Ralph Harris or, or Matthew Hendrick, I can't remember. But he puts it this way. When we're observing the glory of God in the kingdom of nature and providence, which is what we did last week, we should be led by that and through that to the contemplation of his glory in the kingdom of grace. Isn't that wonderful? And so this psalm, as we see God's goodness to man, should lead us to see his goodness to his son, who too was made a little lower than the angels. And last week, last Lord's Day, we considered two points. Number one was the scope of God's glory. And number two was the scope of God's care to man and his, in his revelation. And we consider now in the third, third place, we have four points. So today we just have two additional points. Number three, the scope of God's plan. The scope of God's plan. I want you to look again at verse 6. Verse 6 says, to man first, but now to Christ. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Fine, and we know that. The crown of God's creation, all things in subjection under our feet. You have put all things under his feet. You have put all, A-double-L, capital letters under his feet. And when we consider this verse carefully, we realize in its fullest sense, it must mean someone other than a mere man. And though God has exalted man as the crown of his creation, put all things under his feet in this natural world, note, however, our text says all things, the heavenly realms and the heavens of heavens above are not put under our feet, but can only mean the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ in his incarnation his humiliation, his perfect life, his suffering, death, his resurrection, his ascension to God, and his session at the right hand of God. All these things are given to the one who has been highly exalted by God. And given the name that is above every name, as Philippians tells us, and it is to this one alone that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And we need not wonder about this. Is this really about man? Is this really about Christ? No, the New Testament explains and interprets this for us. This is the scope of God's eternal plan in his Son. It is the Holy Spirit who, through the writer to the Hebrews, quoting this psalm, makes this clear for us. Would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read those five verses there, uh, verses 5 to 9. Hebrews chapter 2, if you would turn there, uh, and he, the writer there, the apostle quotes this psalm. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, for it was not to angels that the Lord sub that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere Hey, Paul, if it's you, it's Psalm 8. <laughs> what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, and he just explains it to us there, for a little while. And you have made him for a little while. 
lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And the apostle explains it. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. It is the gospel, the redemption of God in Christ Jesus, who was made a little lower, and all things were subjected to him. And Ephesians makes it clear that the only one to whom all things have been given and placed under his feet can and is only Christ, who is the head of his church, his body. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I was excited about this psalm in the second study because it speaks of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of his humiliation. It speaks of his suffering and his death. And it speaks of his glory there at the right hand of God the Father. Our text, in a particular manner, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostle in Hebrews sets out to prove the sovereign dominion of Christ both in heaven and on earth, shows that he is the man, the son of man he has spoken of, of whom God crowned with glory and honor, made him to have dominion over all the works of his hands, in fact, the works that he created by his word. And it certainly was, brothers and sisters, the greatest favor that was ever shown to humanity and the greatest honor that was ever put upon the human creature displayed in the incarnation and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. These far exceed the favors of God's honor to man in creation and in providence that we saw last week and even those so much that we do not deserve. And we saw last week we have reason humbly to value ourselves because of it and thankfully to admire the grace of God in it. But it is Christ unto whom everything was subjected. And Jesus Christ assumed the nature of man and in that nature humbled himself. He became the son of man, a partaker in flesh and blood. Being so, God made him suffer and applied the benefits of his suffering to us. As we just read in Hebrews, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death, so that by the grace of God we may taste death. We, he may taste death for everyone, for the suffering of death the outpouring of God's wrath upon Christ. For this, he was crowned with glory and honor for that work he did on earth for man. 
God highly exalted him. Having laid on him the iniquity of us all, God required that of Christ. God crushed him and visited him with, with a rod and with stripes that by those we are healed. For he was for a little while. That is how the apostle interprets it, made a little lower than the angels when he took upon him the form of a servant, made himself of no reputation. Brothers and sisters, what blessed truths explained to us, lifting the veil that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. No wonder he cries twice, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This was the scope of God's plan. It didn't end with man, the crown of his creation, but it began and ends with the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. To him has been given all things. This was the scope of God's plan. This plan was the greatest display of the majesty on high in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ. And this is what what we remembered as we get what we remember as we gathered around the Lord's table because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. May this be our meditation on this psalm on this day. Consider fourthly in the final place and by way of response and application to our souls. The scope of our response. Number four, the scope of our response. Oh Lord, our Lord, verse 9, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What am I to do? Here, yeah, the crown of God's creation who, who raised us up. What am I to do when I see him who is truly above all? And what he has done, I could do none of that. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God the Father exalted him because he had humbled himself. Crowned, Christ was crowned with glory and honor. The glory which he had before the world began. And furthermore, God set him up as head of the church, which is his body. And all things were given to him and placed over under his feet. He is set over even that kingdom of providence and the kingdom of grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, you know this verse. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things were subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. The Son who was subservient to the Father on earth is exalted and restored to full glory that God may be in all. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All the creatures are put under his feet. Even while on earth, 
our Savior displayed a measure of his power and authority over creation given to him as he commands the winds and the waves because they were hymns and they were given to him and he in fact created them. He cast out demons, he healed the sick, he raised the dead and even appointed a fish to pay his taxes, the creeping things that go along the bed of the sea. Brothers and sisters, it is with good reason that the psalmist concludes as he started, as we considered especially this application to Christ, it is further good reason that we end this way, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, the earth and all that is in it, the heavens above, the heavens above the heavens, including the sun and moon and stars set in place by him, the work of his fingers, all these are indeed honored with the presence of the redeemer. And everything is still enlightened by the revelation of his gospel and governed by his wisdom and power. This is Christ Jesus. So I ask again the question, what must be the scope of our response? Let us consider five Appropriate responses before the majesty of this great name. Number one, number one, we must humble ourselves in worship before the majesty of his name. We must humble ourselves in worship before the majesty of his name. God himself has exalted the name of Christ. And get this, there is no higher name. There is no higher authority. There is none like him. He is God, God the Son, and we bow before him as God and Lord of all and worship him who is worthy of all power and praise and glory and honor and everything is under his feet and every living thing was created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. God exalted man, his creature. He crowned him as Lord of his creation and mind-boggling as it is, God is mindful of man, loving him, choosing a peculiar people from these exalted creatures, caring for us, feeding us, protecting us. Yet here is one to whom no man can compare. One who is altogether lovely, holy, sinless, beautiful, beyond comparison, altogether lovely. The one to whom God is supremely mindful of. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of hosts, and we must humble ourselves and we must worship him whose name is majestic in all the earth, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of him and through him, we pledge to God the great one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit alone. We pledge our humble undivided worship. Brothers and sisters, that is the sum of our duty to humbly worship God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic, our Christ, Holy Spirit, our Father, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Secondly, secondly, 
we must submit ourselves in humble obedience before the majesty of his name. There are many who sing his praises. There are many who come to church every Sunday and sing this and feel this and say, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But those are words, are they not? And they may not come from the heart. And so in the second place, we must submit ourselves in humble obedience before the majesty of his name. Consider Jesus on this earth in humiliation was made a little lower than the angels. And he was perfectly obedient to the words and to the works that the Father had given him to do. And in like manner, the church, the church is the chosen from among the sons of men that has been exalted to a little lower than the angels, must be perfectly obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and the commands of God which are found in his word. This, brothers and sisters, must be the mark of a new creation in Christ. His church will be humbly obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. Our obedience to God before the majesty of his name is proof that when we cry, O Lord, our Lord, we truly belong to him because of our obedience perfect obedience through the Lord Jesus Christ to him. And the proof is this, our obedience to the commands of Christ. Let me remind you of 1 John 3, 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your... Humble yourself and bow down and worship him. O Lord, our Lord, a Lord is someone that you obey. And we must humbly obey the Lord Jesus Christ. In this, our love to God is proved. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. To love one another in love and in deeds. And to live a life of obedience to Christ. Thirdly, thirdly. We must willingly serve him before the majesty of his name. Lord, we love you. We bow down before you. But we must obey him. We must obey him. And thirdly, we must willingly serve him before the majesty of God. You serve the Lord Christ for the Christian, the one who can save from the heart, having believed on his son for forgiveness of sins, O Lord, our Lord, he is the one who will willingly serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his house in worship on the Lord's days. We serve him by loving one, serving one another, practicing that true undefiled religion when we are constrained to serve Christ by serving one another. What James said to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, tending to the needs of the saints and the poor and the helpless and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. 
And let's remember as we serve, as we love our saints and our neighbors, remind yourself of the Lord Jesus Christ's word. On that last day, he will say, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then verse 45, he says, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did it unto me. We must humbly serve the majesty of God on high as we serve one another. Fourthly, number four, we must be sanctified before the majesty of his name. We must be sanctified before the majesty of his name. Brothers and sisters, this is one where we all nod our heads and we say, Amen, we must be sanctified, I'm being sanctified. And then we remember Paul's letter said, God has begun this, begun this good work in you. And then like, I kind of mess up for the next 20 years. But thankfully, Philippians ends up and said, And on that day he will complete the work which he has begun in you. But it doesn't work like that. Because those who truly belong to him must be sanctified all of their lives before the majesty of his name. God takes the redeemed sinner and through the perfect work of Christ and his merits imputed to us in these bodies with our remaining sin sanctifies us until the coming of Christ when the work of sanctification will be completed. That is the work God begun at conversion. The work of sanctification takes Plays with great effort on our part. It is not a work that is done in one stroke, like our salvation. Oh, God started this work, I don't need to worry anymore. God's going to finish this work. No, we are extremely active in this work of sanctification. And with the help of the Spirit and the Word of Truth, God will sanctify us. So what does sanctification involve? It involves a lifelong turning from sin, a, a lifelong of faith and repentance, confession and forgiveness, and over and over again, we need to work at this, and when we sin, we don't sin again. And when we repent, we repent of our repentance, and we repent again, and we come in confession and faith. It involves putting to death the sin in our hearts. It involves making godly choices in your lives. You cannot go through your whole life making stupid choices. We must be involved in our sanctification. I like to say, and it's not entirely true, that sanctification is 100% the work of God and 100% the work of man. The point is you're involved in your sanctification. You must make the godly choices. You must resist temptation. You must flee every e evil and flee to Christ for help and strength every day. It involves actively obeying the commands of Christ in his word. It involves come to Christ for help. It involves serving him. It involves through trial and affliction and being joyful in suffering and continuing steadfast through trials of many kind that we are taught in James. Brothers and sisters, if you are not being sanctified, 
if you are not growing in grace, you cannot belong to God. You cannot belong to God. We must be sanctified before the majesty of his name. God begins this work in our hearts and we must make every effort to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Fifthly, in the final, final place, Pastor Sam laid this out beautifully this morning, so this needn't be a long point. We must long for his appearing before the majesty of his name. We must long for and look for his appearing before the majesty of his name. The Christian's treasure is in heaven, and he constantly longs for and looks for that glorious promised return of Christ in the power and majesty of his name. That will be the day, brothers and sisters, that will be the day, friends, when all things on this earth will come to an end. A day when not only the church joyfully and triumphantly bow the knee to the majesty of the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we will see face to face, but a day when every knee will bow. Yes, unbeliever, you too. That day, your knee will bow. And though you refuse to today, that day your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I must make a very urgent and terrible warning to those today. If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and called upon his name for life, for faith and repentance, for forgiveness of sins before him. My friend, if you die, or if Christ comes, and you still have not called upon him, that will be a terrible day. A day when you acknowledge and bow the knee and say, this is Jesus Christ the Lord. But there will no longer be forgiveness and mercy, but only the judgment seat of Christ. That's it. There'll be nothing else for you. The door of grace will be closed. and You will appear before the one who has been given all things. And you will know, you will witness on that day perfect justice when you will see for the last thing, time that all things have been given to Christ and all judgment is given to Christ. He will judge all mankind and the glory and the majesty of his name will be vindicated and the church triumphant will see him in all that glory and we will become like him and we will worship him perfectly in holiness for the first time without sin and we will cry with the church throughout all ages oh lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the heavens above and even in hell beneath because, brothers and sisters, friends, after that judgment in hell, the devil and his angels and everyone who has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who has refused to obey the gospel of Christ, there too, in hell, his name will be majestic in perfect judgment, perfect judgment and eternal punishment forever. Today, says the scriptures, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believers, 
what a joyful day. Look for and long for that day when Jesus will come in the fullness of glory and we will sing as a magnificent choir, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as we wait that day, set yourselves to give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ by confessing that he is Lord, by submitting to him as Lord and obeying his commandments and waiting to see all things put under him and all his enemies made a footstool for his feet. What an appropriate time to come to the Lord's table as we consider the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider our hope, and as we plead with God by the help of his spirit to be obedient, to love one another, to obey all his commands, to worship him, to call upon his name, to serve him with our whole hearts and our whole minds. And that it, all, it is always, O oh Lord, our Lord, before the majestic holiness of his name that we do this because the scriptures remind us do everything, everything, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the glories of your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the supper, as we remember your suffering of death and death, your resurrection and your glory in heaven today. How we thank you for the reminder before us of your suffering and death, and we continue to proclaim your death until you come, looking and longing for that day. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.